Are you willing to believe the bare Word of God? Are you willing to stake your life, your soul, your eternity on the Word of God and entrust yourself to Christ because of that faith? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series titled A Portrait of Faith. What is the connection between every believer that's ever lived with Abraham? It's true saving faith. The fact that Abraham believed God and was counted as righteous, justified by faith alone. But what exactly did Abraham believe? Put another way, what promises from God were the foundation of Abraham's faith? In today's message, Tom explains why Paul quotes from Genesis as it relates to the faith of Abraham. And as you'll discover, the same grace extended to Abraham is the same grace that is extended to everyone who has believed or will believe in Christ. Let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. In hope, against hope, he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations. Now watch this expression. According to that which had been spoken, that is what God had said, so shall your descendants be. Now in verse 17, Paul quotes from Genesis 17. But here in verse 18, he quotes from the earlier promise God made to Abraham back in Genesis 15. Turn back there with me just for a moment. Genesis 15. And I want you to see the emphasis, the stress on what it was Abraham believed. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. You see, Abram, even though he doesn't have a child, he's he's still believing the promise God made him that he would have all these descendants. And he's thinking of, how's God going to do this? Well, maybe he's going to do it through, through my servant. Sort of surrogate heir. And verse 4, behold, again, notice the stress, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And God took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And, he, and notice this, he said to him, and here's our quote from Romans 4, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now what I want you to see is that the stress in Genesis 15 is on him believing the word of the Lord. Now obviously in his case, there was no revelation at this point. There was no written revelation. He lived before the scriptures were written. And so God actually spoke to him in a vision and reaffirmed the covenant that he'd made with him back in Genesis 12. But what ultimately was the foundation of Abraham's faith? 
It was the bare word of God. He believed what God said to him. Go back to Romans chapter 4, and Paul emphasizes this. Verse 13 says, The promise God made to Abraham was what stood in his mind. That's what he believed. The promise. Verse 14. The promise. Verse 16. The promise. Verse 20. The promise. Now go back to verse 18. And here he expands on it a little bit. It was the promise according to that which had been spoken. You see, at its core, Abraham's faith was faith in the promise of God. And all saving faith rests on the Word of God. Now, God no longer speaks audibly to us as He did to Abraham. But now that the Scriptures have been completed, that revelation has ceased, we would say, according to what God has spoken in His Word, according to what has been written, for us, the only legitimate foundation for our faith is the written Word of God. Now, before we leave this, I want to I take it a little further. What promises were the specific foundation of Abraham's faith? Now, in identifying exactly what Abraham believed, Paul quotes several times in Romans 4 from what's called the Abrahamic covenant. Don't be shocked by that word. A covenant is simply a legally binding set of promises. When you're married, you, you make a covenant. You make legally binding promises. That's all a covenant is. God made a legally binding set of promises to Abraham. God originally made that covenant back in Genesis 12 when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. But, but then he repeats it on several occasions during Abraham's life. For example, in, in Genesis 15, as we just saw. In Genesis 17. In Genesis 22. When you look at all of those occurrences... The Abrahamic covenant included four basic promises God made Abraham. Promise number one is that he would give Abraham seed or descendants. Promise number two, he would give him the land of Canaan. Promise number three, he would make of Abraham a nation. And promise number four, and the one Paul really focuses on in Romans 4, is that God through Abraham, would bring spiritual blessing to the nations. So understand then that when you look at the Abrahamic covenant, there are two aspects to the Abrahamic covenant. There were physical promises made to Abraham's physical descendants, and there were spiritual promises made to Abraham's spiritual descendants. Those who believe like he believed. You say, did Abraham get that? Did, did he understand he was after more than a piece of land in the Middle East? Absolutely he got it. Look at Hebrews 11, where it says he looked for a city whose architect and builder is God. But you can see that Abraham was after the spiritual aspect of the promise right here in Romans 4. Notice verse 1 of Romans 4. What has Abraham found? Verses 2 through 5 is Paul's answer to that question. In verse 3, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. We just saw it in its context. And then in verses 4 and 5, he exposits, he explains Genesis 15, 6. So, notice in verse 5, 
what Paul says Abraham found, he found to be true, he discovered to be true, and he believed. This is what he found. First of all, he found and believed that he was a sinner. Notice the word ungodly. Abraham understood he was ungodly. He was an idolater living in Ur when God found him. He was a liar. He struggled with lying. And there were other sins I'm sure the biblical record doesn't record. He understood he was a sinner. He was ungodly. Secondly, he understood that his own efforts could never give him a right standing before God. Again, look at verse 5. The one who does not work, he understood his own efforts could never bring him a right standing with God. Thirdly, he understood and believed that God, who is by nature a saving God, has made a way of redemption. Even though we're ungodly and He's holy, He's made a way to redeem us. Again, verse 5 says, of God, it is He who justifies the ungodly, who declares right with Him the ungodly. God, in His wisdom, found a way, and Abraham understood this. Fourthly, Abraham understood and believed that God's plan was to credit righteousness to him, to put the righteousness of someone else in his account when he seriously lacked righteousness. Again, verse 5, it says, it is, righteousness is credited. Fifthly, Abraham understood and believed that the only way to enjoy this blessing was by faith alone. Notice, the one who does not work, but believes in him. Now, I'm going to add a couple more, not from this passage, but from Galatians 3, where we looked a couple of weeks ago. I won't take you there, but just remind you of them. According to Galatians 3, Abraham also believed that the truth of the gospel, in its elementary form as it was communicated to him, is a saving message. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, says the Scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Where and how did Abraham hear the gospel? Through the promise of spiritual blessing. Because God can't spiritually bless those who are His enemies. Somehow He has to reconcile them to Himself. So the gospel was contained in a sort of rudimentary form in the promise of spiritual blessing through Abraham to the nations. And number seven, Abraham understood and believed that one of his descendants would accomplish his redemption. Galatians 3, remember, he saw the seed, singular, that is the Messiah. Abraham knew, think about this, Abraham knew that the Redeemer that God had promised Adam all the way back in Genesis 3.15 would be one of his descendants. And he believed that through the work of that Redeemer, and by the way, I think he understood that it involved sacrifice in some way because he was continually making sacrifices. Through the work of that Redeemer, God would redeem man from his sin. And Abraham, Jesus says in John 8, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So what was the primary object of Abraham's faith? It was the spiritual aspect of the promises God had made him in the Abrahamic covenant. That is, his being declared right with God by faith alone, receiving the spiritual blessing of forgiveness and salvation made possible by the coming Redeemer. In other words, 
Abraham believed in the same Christ and the same gospel you do, just in a more basic, simple form. Abraham believed God's word. This is always how genuine faith works. The rest of the New Testament stresses that saving faith believes God's word. I have a string of references in my notes, but let me just show you a couple. Look at Romans chapter 10. This is a key text. Romans 10, verse 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls out to God for salvation, willing to turn from their sin and trust in Christ, as he's explained earlier in the passage, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord like that will be saved. Verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed. Isn't that interesting? Calling on God in prayer for salvation follows believing. The reason you're calling is because you've already come to believe. How shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they've not heard? There has to be content to your faith. In order to savingly believe, you have to know who Christ is and what the gospel is. And how will they hear without a preacher? This is why it's so important for us to to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. How will they preach unless they're sent? But notice verse 17. For faith comes from hearing. Hearing in what way? Hearing comes by hearing the message about Christ. Again, what's faith based on then? It's based on on the message about Christ, ultimately the gospel, the Word of God. It's God's gospel. Turn over to 1 Peter. So many passages I would love to take you to, but let's just go to one more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, 30, verse 23 rather. He says, you have been born again, you've been regenerated, you've been given new life, and the seed which produced that new life is not perishing seed, it's imperishable seed. What is this seed that brings new life to our souls? It's the living and enduring Word of God. Verse 25, the Word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the Word which was preached to you and understood which you believed. Ultimately, faith is founded on the Word of God. Turn over to one other passage, 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 16 and following, Peter recounts the transfiguration. You can, can you imagine what it was like to be on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus revealed in His glory? To hear God speak from heaven, this booming voice, this thundercloud, and to hear God say, This is my Son. But notice what Peter says, verse 19. In verse 18, he says, We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And then he says, But we have the prophetic word more sure. Wow. The prophetic word made more sure. Jonathan Edwards, commenting on this text, writes this, Why cannot we be contented with the divine oracles that holy, pure Word of God, which we have in such abundance and clearness now since the canon of Scripture is completed. 
why should we desire to have anything added to them by impulse from above? Why should we not rest in that standing rule that God has given to His church, which the apostle teaches us is surer than a voice from heaven? You understand? What you hold in your hands is better than hearing God speak from heaven because He has spoken. In a book you can read and study, learn. The Word of God is the only legitimate foundation for our faith. Lloyd-Jones writes, Adam, Abraham's faith enabled him to believe God's promise on the bare Word of God and nothing else whatsoever. Abraham had nothing to go on when he believed except the mere statement of God. And this is always true faith. Faith, you understand, is not a blind leap. Faith is not a vague human confidence that what you would like to happen is going to happen. Let me give you a definition of faith. Faith is believing the statements God makes in His Word and acting on them as true. That's faith. Believing the statements God makes in His Word and acting on them is true. Let me ask you this, this morning. Do you believe God? Do you believe the bare Word of God? In Romans chapter 4, Paul is talking about the promises of justification, the promises of spiritual blessing in Christ and in the Gospel. Do you believe? Do you really believe the bare Word of God in the Gospel? Do you believe the negative promise of the gospel? Do you know there's a negative promise in the gospel? Do you believe it? Do you believe that if you refuse to repent and believe, that if you refuse to place your faith in the Son of God, that God in His perfect holiness and justice will condemn you, body and soul, to eternal suffering in hell? Do you believe that? Do you believe the positive promises of the gospel? Do you believe that what Jesus said in Matthew 5 is true? That those who become like a spiritual beggar, blessed are the beggars, for to them belongs the kingdom of God. Do you believe that if you will be reduced to a beggar before God and you will plead with Him for mercy and grace and forgiveness, that He will save you, that He will give you new life, that He'll give you a heart to know God, that He'll give you spiritual life, a relationship with God, that He'll give you the gift of faith and repentance? Do you believe that He'll take out your heart of stone and give you a living heart that will enable you to have a relationship with Him, that He will, as the gospel promises, write His laws upon your heart, enabling you both to love and to obey Him? He will set you apart as His own special possession and will become your God? Do you believe what the gospel promises? That He will credit your sins, plural. Think of the sins you've committed. He will take those sins and credit them to Christ's account. And because Christ fully and completely paid for them in His death on the cross, God will forgive your sins once and forever. To help you understand just how thorough and complete His forgiveness is, Will you believe the promises of how He extends that forgiveness? That God will erase the divine record of your crimes from the books of heaven? That He will bury your sins in the deepest sea where they can never be seen, they can never be recovered? That He will separate your sins as far from you as the east is from the west, an infinite distance? 
that he will cast your sins behind his back. In other words, he will never look at them. He'll never choose to see them again. He will bury them in his omniscience so that he will never remember them against you again forever. Do you believe the promise of the gospel that he will credit the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you, that He will take those 33 perfect years of obedience that Christ lived, and He will put that in your account, and He will treat you forever as if you had lived that perfect life. He will adopt you as His child and become your loving, gracious, eternal Father. He'll put His Spirit within you as His abiding, permanent presence with you. He'll cause all the things that happen to you in this life to work together for your spiritual and eternal good. And whatever He brings, whatever happens in this life, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And throughout the rest of this life, He will be at work in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. He will be working in you the image of His own Son. He will preserve and protect you throughout this life. He will provide for you. He will preserve your soul until the day of Jesus Christ. And when your life ends here, He will be with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and He will bring you into His eternal presence. And then, in the ages to come, He will demonstrate the surpassing riches of His grace by showing you kindness and goodness because you're in Christ. Those are just a few of the promises the Gospel makes. Do you believe God? Are you willing to believe the bare Word of God? Are you willing to stake your life, your soul, your eternity on the Word of God and entrust yourself to Christ because of that faith? This is saving faith. Now, let me just say that when we hear amazing promises like that, we are tempted, and I say we because I'm tempted, I'm assuming you're tempted in the same way, We're tempted to hear those amazing promises and say something like this. Well, Tom, that that sounds great. And you know what? I don't doubt God. God is good and He'll do all of that. But, you know, I doubt myself. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? This week I came across a quote from John Calvin that just demolishes that. It's worth listening to. Listen carefully. We are indeed in the habit to excuse ourselves that we take nothing from God's power when we hesitate respecting His promises. In other words, we say, look, I'm not, I'm not like attacking God here by saying that, that uh, you know, His promises aren't going to work that way for me. What we commonly say, he says, the thought that God promises more in His Word than He can perform, that's a falsehood and a blasphemy. That is no, by no means the cause of our hesitation. But the reason we hesitate respecting the promises of God, is the defect which we feel in ourselves. You ever been tempted that way? Listen to this. Calvin goes on to say, but we do not sufficiently exalt the power of God. But we do not sufficiently exalt the power of God unless we think God's power greater than our weakness. Faith then ought not to regard our weakness, misery, and defects, but to fix wholly its attention on the power of God. 
We must never rationalize our unbelief. Instead, we must believe the bare Word of God because He is truth itself, because He cannot lie, because He has the power to do everything He promises, and because He's always faithful to keep the promises He makes. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Are you willing to believe the bare Word of God about Christ and the Gospel? That's faith. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of his series, A Portrait of Faith. Tom will have part seven for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Mm